Equality of educational opportunity has long been a stated goal of education in this province. The polka dot door, the polka dot door, let's peep through the polka dot door. Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome once again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is Elwi Yost. Today's special, shout it loud and clear, today's special. Launching in 1994, Studio 2 aired live every weeknight on TVO. It covered everything from provincial to national to foreign affairs and everything in between. It was originally hosted by Mary Hines and yours truly. After two seasons, Mary left and was replaced by Paula Todd. On this episode of TVO at 50, Jane Jankovic, the former senior producer on the program, joins me to look back and share some of her favorite moments. Isn't this a weird way to talk to somebody? Uh, it sure is, but it's a weird world right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Let me formally introduce you then. We are talking to Jane Jankovic, who was there on day one for TVO's first ever daily current affairs program. It was called Studio 2. It debuted in September 1994. Mm. Is that what brought you to TVO in the first place? Yes, it is. Um, I had been doing a lot of freelancing with different shows for CTV and uh, did worked on a show... Um, I was familiar with TVO because I was working on a show called Work Week, uh, which was a half-hour current affairs show about um, labor and workplace issues, which was very timely because it was in the time of the uh, free trade agreement and the negotiation of uh, the um, uh, of NAFTA. So there were a lot. I remember of, that show. I think yeah. Hamlin Grange hosted that, didn't he? He, he did for a season, yeah. And uh, you know, there's a lot of just a lot of uh, stories around the the demise of manufacturing, the shutdowns of. Um, yeah, you know how the whole economy was shifting and people were being marginalized and, and having real difficulties in terms of what do you do uh, if you've worked for, in a factory for 20 years and you're only 45. So we, um, did, I did that for an independent production company called Barnett Albert Productions, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff that I did with them and other uh, independent production companies. And anyway, well, the show was taped, our broadcast partners were TVO and CBC Newsworld. And we taped a lot of our shows out of TVO. So I was familiar with crew and people at TVO. Um, and so then I got wind of this show that was going to be a daily live current affairs show. And you know, the word live just like made me sizzle. I just loved the idea of being live. Who does live TV anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was gonna be a, um, you know, a kind of a, a, a grouping of stories that would be both uh, current as in same day, as well as looking at bigger analytical issues and doing a lot of human interest stories, um, you know, around the province. So I thought, wow, you know, but I just thought live, oh my God, that's so cool. I really want to do that. So I went and had an interview and it went pretty well, uh, but I didn't hear from our executive producer, Doug Grant. I didn't hear from him and I got another job offer and I thought, well, I'll just give him a call and see if uh, I've been still in the running for this thing. And I called him and he said, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot to call you. Yeah, the job's yours. Can you start next week? <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that story. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So had you not called to check with him, I might never have met you. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Oh my goodness. That's <laughs> hilarious. Well, you were, I guess, I mean, you were second in command there, right? What, what was your official title? Uh, senior producer. First senior year was producer. A, a, sort of the daily um, editor and you know, organizing all the daily chases, et cetera. But they needed another person to put together all the pieces of the show, you know, because it's, it's a big puzzle that you have to do every day. And I saw that there was no one really doing that role. So I just started doing it. Uh, and then uh, Doug made me senior producer and, and the 
daily editor position position was backfilled by somebody else. So well, uh, yeah, you, it was you, great. Like the show hasn't been on the air for a decade and a half. So maybe for those who don't remember it, you should just sort of describe what the format was. Yeah. So we were, uh, as I said, a live show with, with some sort of staple type analytical uh, panels on every day. Good evening, everybody. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm Mary Hines. Welcome to the first edition of Studio Two. How safe is the blood? Reports of contamination and lax procedures have shaken public confidence. So on Monday, we had like a sports panel and we had an interview with Alan Gregg. Um, on Tuesdays, we had a business panel. On Wednesday, we had the Foreign Affairs panel. On Thursday, we had the Federal uh, Affairs panel. And on Friday, we had the Provincial Affairs um, uh, panel. So every day we had these um, um, segments that were analysis of what was happening in the zeitgeist or uh, just stories that were of interest that weren't making the news, that people weren't familiar with. So that was the beauty of that show, actually. We weren't tied to the news, um, but uh, of course we, we addressed it, but we weren't tied to it. We were able mm -hmm. to you know, talk about the Hungarian Revolution because it's the anniversary of its you know, the 50th anniversary or whatever it was uh, of the revolution, even though it wasn't in the news, but it's an interesting thing to discuss. And you know, who else is looking at that? Who else even thinks about that? Yeah, so, we did not uh, feel like slaves to the headlines of the Toronto Star that day, which I loved absolutely. about it. Yeah, I loved that too. And even when we did feel we had to do a news thing, we always were very mindful, like, well, you know, six o'clock news did the facts. So how are we going to do this? What's the, you know, Studio Two spin on it? And it was always looking at, you know, how do we tease this issue apart? How do we introduce the debate on um, whether this policy is a good or, or not so good thing? Um, how do we bring some illumination to an issue that um, is, is going to be like a, you know, 30 second or 45 second hit on the news? And we'll discuss it for like 10, 15 minutes and uh, really pull it apart and hopefully provide more information that people can kind of place themselves uh, where they where they fit, you know, on this issue. So that was always the goal, you know. So it um, it was it was exciting because you knew nobody else was doing that in those days. You know, our whole do you remember that whole motto thing, you know, death to sound bites? Oh that yeah. Our, yeah, that was our yeah. first slogan, wasn't it? That death was our to sound bites. Slogan. Yeah, and that I think that really described what Doug was trying to do with that show and I think where our hosts really shined as well because you guys were doing stuff that other hosts weren't doing anymore mm. anyway. Well, let me, let me pick up on a few other things there because there were, you, you've described it very well, but there were a few other elements as well. Bef before we did uh, Queen's Park every Friday, we actually had a culture panel on Fridays as I oh, recall. Oh yes, we did that too. Sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And that was, uh, you know, again, I hadn't, didn't see those conversations anywhere else on television at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We also did uh, you know, Judy Brake was our arts oh, editor yes. and she, yeah. she uh, produced something called On Stage, where yeah, we, I think yeah. twice a week at one point, had like just the best people in jazz and classical and, yeah. and uh, you know, they, rock and roll. And they came in and played for us in the studio and we did interviews with them. And oh my gosh, that was, you know, <clears throat> the, yeah. Jane, I'll tell you a weird story. There was, okay. I know you're supposed to be telling me stories, but no, this no, just popped good. into my head. <laughs> There was um, a cabinet minister in Mike Harris's government named Bob Runciman, and he eventually went on to, to the Senate as well. And Bob Runciman was from a very conservative riding in eastern Ontario, and he used to win his elections by thousands and thousands of votes all the time. And I remember one, one show, he was in for an interview, and it's about two minutes to eight, and we're live at eight o'clock, and I'm making small talk with him. And this guy was, I think, solicitor general. So he was like the top cop in the province in a way. And he said, you know... Um, you know what I like about this show? And I said, well, I assume you watch the Queens Park stuff. And he said, no, 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 I never watched that. I get enough of that. 
he said, I love your jazz. I tune in and watch the jazz stuff whenever you have it. And that sort of was a moment um, in my awakening that, uh, number one, don't assume you know what anybody likes or doesn't like uh, or what, we'll, what they'll connect with and what they won't connect mm-hmm. with. And, mm-hmm. and second of all, we were, through these onstage segments, bringing, uh, you know, if you lived outside of Toronto, you probably weren't getting to see live jazz in the province of Ontario. And this really did bring it out to people in a way that they hadn't experienced it before. So I, I love that story about Bob Runciman. Yeah, that's terrific. And you know, and also with that on stage, I have to admit, when we first went over the format of the show with Doug and we were sort of going back and forth on what to do on what days, whatever. And I said, what on stage? Really? Like you, like you're going to bring musicians. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand the fit. He goes, yeah, yeah, you know, like people have, you know, music's part of people lot, people's lives, you know, it's just, we're just telling stories. So, you know, yeah, no, you know what, it's going to be, no one will expect it. It'll be really great. <laughs> so, well, it's true. No one will expect it. So you're right. Judy brought on like some of the biggest names in jazz. Absolutely. I think we probably had in many cases, the final television appearance of um, several jazz greats before they passed on. As well, she was really good at getting people on their way up, you know, in other areas. Like I remember Rio Static, we, we had them on and people really, well, people knew who they were, but they weren't sort of as big as what they became after. We had them on for 25 minutes, may I remind yes. you? <laughs> yes. I remember one time she said, oh she said, I'm going to bring in a 16-year-old violinist by the name oh, of James yes. Ennis. Yes. And she said, I'm going to book him now because let me tell you, Steve, in a few years, he's going to be one of the biggest things in the world and we'll never yeah. be able to get him. Oh, and, yeah. And she was absolutely right. This kid was yeah. amazing. I remember years later at, at uh, Thompson Hall, probably a couple, two, three years ago, uh, he performed and I went backstage to see him afterwards. I knew some people who knew him and they got me in. And, and, um, and I said, you're not going to remember this. And he said, oh my God, Steve, I remember doing Studio Two. Uh-huh. It must have been, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And yeah, yeah. he was, he, we got him before he got huge. Yeah, That's yeah. That's good. She was good at that. Oh yeah, she was great at that. Yeah. Now, here's a question I've never asked you, but I've always been curious about. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the host for the whole time that the show was on the air, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? 12 years that we got out of that show? Yeah. For 12 years. And then uh, Mary Hines did the first two years and Paula yeah. Todd did the, the 10 after that. Did you get a say in who got hired to be the host of that show? And did you back me or not? <laughs> <laughs> That's what well, I want to know. <laughs> Well, you, you're, you were never a question. You came, by the time I got to the show in July of 94, um, both you and Mary had already been selected. Um, uh, okay, and, and, so you didn't yeah. get a chance to undermine me then. No, not that. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, when, when Mary left the show and we were looking for a host, we did do auditions and Doug and I did review the auditions together. Obviously, he made the final choice. Um, but um, yeah, Paula Todd was really strong she's definitely did the the best audition absolutely Absolutely. right yeah absolutely did the best audition and uh and it turned the show into a different thing you know because mary had the other things that that, again this goes back to doug not wanting it to be a typical current affairs show in fact he wouldn't even 
he didn't even want to talk or hire anyone from the CDC because he didn't want any muscle memory, I guess, so to speak, um, of you know what a current affairs show should be and what what you know how to deal with stories. Because if you remember, we always had um, our story. Our stories didn't fit a format. The format fit the story. So hmm. if it was a zeitgeist story and we wanted to get a sense of the public mood, we did a phone in. If it was a you know a, a policy that had been announced that day we wanted to pull it apart with people who had different perspectives on that policy. And it wouldn't just be a one person or two person thing. It would be like six people analyzing it. And in those days, you know, before the agenda, that was odd. No one did that anymore. I've never told this story before publicly, but uh, you know, you're right. I, I predated uh, Studio Two. I'd been there for a couple of years already doing a show called Between the Lines, which was a weekly town hall show and Fourth Reading, which was a weekly Queens Park show. So in some respects, I was sort of foisted upon this new daily show and the executive producer didn't really have a choice in whether to take me. I have it on pretty good authority. I was not his first <laughs> choice, but, um, but he was stuck with me because Peter Herndorf, the chair and CEO, yes, yes. Uh, wanted me. Yeah. Um, but, but, I but let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, we were live at eight o'clock, yep. uh, five nights a week when we first went on the air. Yeah, and, four um, actually, four. Oh, Fridays four, we that's right. In the afternoon, yeah. That's right. Friday we pre-taped. What, what was the sort of what was the most challenging thing about about uh, getting a show on the air live at eight o'clock at night? You know, come hell or high water, regardless of what went down. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, aside from the daily uh, chase, which is always stressful, you know, trying to get something same day that where you're just not repeating the news. Um, I would have to say, with all due respect, my darling, it would be wrangling the hosts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does that mean? Oh my God! Everybody was everywhere all the time. I mean, well, that's because we had field part. shoots too, Jane. Right? Because we were out all we were out all over the province doing field crazy. shoots too. Made yeah. me crazy. And you were at Queens Park all the time. And you and your kids were young, and you did you wanted to have some time with them because we we had you in the evenings, right? So we were trying to balance all these things out. And you know, and then Paula's so involved in a whole bunch of other stuff because she's she's like that. You know, she likes to be a very engaged person. She likes to go to places and see how these stories are unfolding and stuff. And you guys all had your sidebar shows as well. Remember, we had about four spinoff shows off of TVO, uh, off of Studio Two. And so you guys were all engaged in that as well. That's so, right. Yeah. I was doing Diplomatic Immunity and yeah. Fourth Reading and, and fourth Paula reading. was doing Person to Person. Right. And yeah, that just we should explain, like the day started at nine o'clock in the morning per usual, but of course yeah. the show was on live from eight to nine at night. Yeah. So you guys were kind enough, you know, I had little kids at the time, you were kind yeah. enough to let me bugger off for an hour and a half or two hours yeah. in the late afternoon and pick kids up from school and spend some time with them then. Yeah. But that was, it's just the, the coordination of the producers, um, when the guests are going to be available, when the hosts are going to be available uh, because of all these other obligations that they had, it was that constant juggling act. Um, and so it was, that was, honestly, I have to say, I, that was one of our biggest challenges is how do we get the people that we want for the show at the times at which we can get them and that our hosts are available. So that was you know, kind of a, a struggle. But you know, you guys were always there, even if I was like sweating bullets all day, you guys were always there at 7.30 for our <laughs> script meeting. And, uh, and then away we went, or seven o'clock actually, then we go through our Chiron, we do all that kind of stuff. And the next thing you know, you know, I'm in the control room, you guys are out there on the floor and it's 10, nine, eight. And I'm so excited. And then everybody's like, you know, in the control room and everybody's on the same page in the moment happening. Uh, and it's just, I love that environment where we're just all in it. And you know what? We don't know what's going to happen. And we had stuff. We had people walk off. We had people not show up. We had, um, you know, items that were tanking. And thank God in those days, we were our own master control in a way. If, a, if you have an interview was tanking, you know, we've 
I'd say, okay, look, all right, call master control. Can we get out of this three minutes early? And they call you know, master control. So we get out three minutes early, but then we have to find a way to make up for those three minutes somewhere else and running back to the newsroom to find a three minute item that we can roll in. And, you know, so it's uh, that kind of stuff. Or if something was going great, it's like we would just pull stuff from the show live in the control room and say, okay, we're going to 20 minutes on this. We're going to pull the five minute uh, arts item, whatever it is. And then, you know, Dave would say, that, that means we have to pull the bumper. I said, sorry, Dave. You know, you know poor Dave Irwin was, you know, worked so hard all day to create those teasers and bumpers. And then we'd right. have to pull one of the bumpers because it teased an item that was no longer on the show. So we're just constantly juggling, um, you know, how the show was going to uh, unfold. That so night. that's the that's the difference between being out on the set, where of course, uh, you know, the two hosts would have been, you know, insulated from all of this, mm. and what you were doing in the control room. So was that ultimately your call about what to, you know, what to drop, what to add, uh, yeah. how to how to shape it in the middle of the show? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. would do that, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> I well, but by puzzles. the same token, I, I I'd like to think that I was a, at least a little bit responsible for some of the gray hair that you got on the job. Okay, you want me to tell a Steve Pakin story that sure, I remember? Sure, go ahead. All right. So, you know, in those days, we were younger, and um, we liked to party and go out. And I think there was a big, we were very social, as I recall, especially in the first few seasons. We all liked each other. Yeah, we liked each other. We were like the little engine that could, you know? Like, yeah. no one sort of gave us a shot. Everybody thought, like, Poof, you know, that's just, they're just there for some sort of weird mandate thing. They're, no one's actually watching, which was totally untrue. Our ratings were getting better and better and got really good as we went on. Um, so we would go out and we'd celebrate because it's, you know, it's a, it's a haul to, to, you know, put out over 200 shows. Well, as you know, you're still doing it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we went and there was some TVO party or something. And then after the party, we at Studio Two, we decided we're not ready to go home. So we went to, <laughs> we went to a bar that was pretty much empty. And I can't remember how this happened, but you ended up on stage singing Frank Sinatra songs. I don't know. There must I have, have no memory of this. You have no memory of this? I really oh. don't. I have oh. no memory of this. Okay, let me tell you then. So you went up there and it was like one o'clock in the morning. I said, Steve, and I could hear your voice getting raspy. I said, Steve, you've got to get off. You've got, you've got, you, were, you were interviewing the premier the next day. It was oh, it was Ray. Bob Ray. That's yes, right. gosh, I do remember this That's now. Right. That's right. Yes. I and totally was, blew my voice out. And it was, uh, yes, yes. And I kept saying, Steve, stop it, stop it. And then you get into Tony Bennett and it's like on and on. I said, if you do not do this, you've got this big accountability, uh, you know, interview with uh, uh, with Bob Ray. I guess, yes, he would have lost the election, or would have been either just before the election. Oh, yeah, just before, before yes, yeah, just, just before. before. And uh, <laughs> so, don't worry about it, JJ. Don't worry about it. All right. So next morning, you call me. I can't even hear you on the phone. Your voice. No, is I had so nothing. Bad. I had absolutely nothing. Complete laryngitis. Gone. Gone. So I called Mary. I said, Mary. We're going to have to send you some stuff. To, you're going to do the Bob Ray interview this afternoon. Well, she was not happy. <laughs> no, because Queen's Park, you know, she was, exactly. the, she was the national person and Queen's exactly. Park was my thing. It was yeah. not her beat. And she knew that she wouldn't have sort of the arsenal of, of knowledge that you have when it's, when it's a beat and you're down at Queen's Park every day and you're covering it and all that stuff. So she was like, oh, my God. She was really, you know, and I understand totally. But we're pulling together, you know, a, a research paper to, or, you know, um, Send her a file. Yeah, package. Yeah. Thank you. And then I thought, what does the Canadian Opera Company do when their <laughs> singers can't get on stage? You know, oh, this they, was your idea. Okay, oh, it was. I, I, I oh, didn't know was. that. Yes. Oh, wow. oh, it was. And they said, well, we have this doctor at Mount Sinai and we send them there and they, 
you know, do things and we help try to get their voices back, especially if it's the star of the show and, you know, the show must go on kind of thing. So I called Mount Sinai with a reference from the COC and I said, I've got this host who's supposed <laughs> to be interviewing the premier. This damn uh, fool host. Yes. <laughs> he has no voice and we need to get him back his voice. And so he said, okay, bring him down. And I said, what are you going to do you know, with it? He's well, I will probably give him some steroids or we'll, we'll shoot him. They're going <laughs> to give you a needle. And I said, oh, is it a, is it a big needle? And he's no, no, it's a regular needle. How oh, can you make it a really big needle? Like really long. Shame on you, JJ. <laughs> I'm almost ashamed of it, but not really, you know, because <laughs> I was just so angry with you, you know. And we ch I chuckled with the, we had a good chuckle over that. I'm sure he didn't give you a, a big long needle, but. Uh, what, what he did do is, I remember this very well. His name was Dr. Arnold Noyak. Oh, and yeah. he gave me, I, I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to give you eight times the dose I would normally give of steroids in order to bring your voice back. And he did. And it did come back. It I mean, it was shocking. Back. The voice did come back. Yes. It, no, it was just starting to peter out towards the end of the interview. You were getting a little raspier as we were going, but it was remarkable from absolutely zero to three hours later conducting a big you know, accounted like um, a feature interview with uh, yeah. the premier. Thank God. Yeah. 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 I do remember that. Yeah. I'm well, the moral of the story is I, I should listen <laughs> to you more. That is the moral of the story. <laughs> it, it, that's never going to happen. So, you know, I just accept that. <laughs> I just accept that. <laughs> we, um, in our last couple of minutes here, let's just talk about, I mean, the show lasted for 12 years, which I think yeah. was longer than the journal. And I yes, know I like so, our executive yes. producer, Doug Grant, had worked on the journal and I know it was mm -hmm. a point of pride for him to outlast the journal. Yes, and we yes. actually, we did do that. Um, do, you, do you want to tell this? I mean, do you want to tell a bit of the story about why eventually the show came to an end after 12 years? I don't particularly want to tell that story. No. <laughs> ah, interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, there's, no. the, the, I mean, the short version of it is that, that, um, you know, we got a new CEO, Lisa DeWild, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who, determined that uh, Studio Two was a good show in its day, but that it, she needed mm -hmm. something much more distinctive uh, because by the, by the, you know, when we started and by the 12 years later, it was not quite as distinctive as it would have been at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she wanted something else. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. and she was a change agent and she was determined to, sure. to change things. And, and while you're at it, guys, you know, if you can do it for a much cheaper price as well, since our budgets were getting cut, uh, do that too. So I think that's what brought Studio Two to an end. Well, you know, it was, um, it, it had a great run. Um, I do agree that there was probably some, re that, you know, there was at a point, every so often you have to sort of look inward and analyze yourself. Um, we had a great run. We brought lot, a lot to um, uh, our audience and, you know, storytelling. Um, and, you know, things move, things move on, you know, things are retired. Like after the journal, after um, Barbara Frun passed, it, uh, it just was a different thing. It was a different experience and they decided to retire it. Um, and uh, yeah, as you say, things come to an end and it's sometimes time to rethink how to move forward with the changes in audience and technology and you know, the types of stories that are now evolving and breaking because of the technology that you know, um, you know, helps these stories make it into the, uh, into the stratosphere in ways they never had before. So, yeah, it is, it's a totally understandable that they would um, want to rethink or relook at, um, at a story, at a, a show. Uh, mm -hmm. And but that's good. I'm happy that we did the we, we did those 12 years that we really made a contribution and it evolved into something else, which is now um, 
it's also how many years has the agenda been on? 13? Uh, we're in the middle 14. of year 15 right now. Wow, 15. There you go. So that's, that's almost it's 27 years of current affairs, daily current affairs programming at a place where when I started at TVO, it was the place where you started your career or you ended your career. You didn't create <laughs> a career at TVO, and I think a career at TVO. And I think that the that Studio Two really shifted that, and the agenda just like went full hog on that. We've had so many talented people um, that have worked on both shows, uh, and uh, you know now we're a place where we're a destination, we're a go-to place for current affairs, and I think that's an amazing accomplishment from from where we came from. Well, I'll tell you, it has been a delight walking down memory lane with oh, Jane Jankovic, yeah. once upon a time, Thanks. the senior producer of Studio Two, now commissioning editor of documentaries at TVO. You are still mm -hmm. cranking them out, JJ. Good still for you. Still telling stories. Still telling stories. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Thanks so much for this, Jane. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. What's your favorite TVO memory? If you'd like to be on the podcast, record yourself and email the audio to us using the address tvo at 50 at tvo.org. That's TVO, A-T, and the numbers 50, at TVO.org. And we'll play these on future episodes. That's it for us. This episode of TVO at 50 was produced by Katie O'Connor and Matthew O'Mara. Editing by Donnie Swanson. Research help from Kate Petch and Carol Elder. Our production support coordinators are Jonathan Hallowell and Nikki Ashworth. Next time on the podcast... We thought at the time, and, and it turned out it was very true, that people were um, done with watching sort of a traditional, um, somewhat pedantic science documentary. So we thought what we wanted to do is um, create this refreshing approach that you, you couldn't call science. So, um, you know, if, if you didn't excel in, in science in high school or university, it, it didn't matter. You'd still be interested in this because it was about people and their stories and their passion for the particular area of science they were in. I'm Steve Pakin. Bye-bye. <laughs>